that long since I was last here, but it's been a good few years at least because the world's gone crazy these last few years. But it's really good to be with you all. Um, I bring my greetings as well from my wife Sarah and our three boys, Noah, Seth and Jude, who couldn't be here with us this morning because very excitingly their granddad has just got a new puppy and that was a priority to go and visit the new puppy uh, in the northwest this weekend, but otherwise they would have been here with me. And they do send their greetings, um, or Sarah does. I think the boys are oblivious to the fact I'm here at all, but you know, Sarah sends her greetings to you all. Um, I've known Andy, who I know is on, on sabbatical at the moment, for I think probably nearly 10 years now, and a group of about four or five uh, local pastors, including myself and Andy, meet up every couple of months just to pray for one another and kind of share what's happening in our lives and in our churches. And that has been a massive uh, benefit and blessing and at times a, a lifeline to me. And over the years, it's been great to, to get to know a few of you on the few occasions I've visited on a Sunday. And just to say, you know, at, at City Church in Newcastle, we really love uh, this church. We love Regents and we're excited to be kind of part together with you of God's church in Newcastle and in the Northeast. Um, we're just going to dive straight in this morning, if that's okay. I know you're in this message series in the book of John. We're going to pick that up today in John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38. Uh, you might want to turn there in your Bibles. The kind of relevant verses will come up on the screen, but it's always good to check. I'm not just making it all up. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there to John 13. So we're together with Jesus and his disciples at their final meal together before Jesus is arrested and put on trial and crucified. He's already done this amazing moment of washing their feet, demonstrating his incredible love and servant-heartedness towards them. He's confronted Judas about uh, his upcoming betrayal and Judas has, has left them by this point in the meal. And this is how that narrative continues. This is John 13 verses 31 to 38. When he was gone, that Judas is gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I'm sure some of those words are quite familiar to a lot of us, especially that beautiful and simple command of Jesus to love one another. But I think the thing that really struck me about this passage as I've been reading it and reflecting on it these past couple of weeks is how Jesus seems to move from these really deep, complex mysterious if we're honest perhaps even a bit confusing truths about the son being glorified and the father being glorified in the son and the son being glorified by the father and being the son of man and where I'm going you can't follow and all that stuff he kind of moves from that to this simple and beautiful command to love one another and it can feel like a bit of a gear change 
But actually, hopefully what we're going to see today is that this call to love one another that Jesus makes is made all the richer and in fact can only be properly understood and properly lived out if we understand the context of what Jesus is saying about his glorification and about his relationship with the Father and about where he's going next. So what I want to do this morning is kind of talk a little bit around the houses, but hopefully by the end it'll all make sense and talk about three big ideas that Jesus shows us in, in his words in this passage and then one simple application. Three big ideas and one simple application. So here we go. Big idea number one, the glory of God. The first uh, two verses of this passage, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. There are five glorifieds or glorifies in that short couple of sentences from Jesus. Now, I'm not a kind of linguistic scholar. I don't know how this kind of reads in the original ancient Greek in the New Testament text. But in English, if this isn't a blasphemous to say, it reads in a bit of an unwieldy way what Jesus says, doesn't it? So what's it all about? What's Jesus saying? Jesus is referring to his upcoming death and resurrection. Judas has gone, kind of the wheels are now in motion. It's about to happen. That's why Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And consistently you see, as you read uh, the Gospels, particularly John's Gospel, that Jesus refers to this moment of his death and resurrection as the moment when he will be glorified and when God the Father would be glorified. And I think it's worth reflecting on because I think for most of us, when we think about the cross and what Jesus has done, we tend to think of it in a very me-centered way. Jesus died on the cross to save me. Jesus died on the cross to forgive me. Jesus died on the cross to give me eternal life. Jesus died on the cross because he loves me. And all of that is completely true. Don't worry, I'm not going to go really off course here and preach some new dodgy version of the gospel. That's all true, but it's not the whole truth. Because at a deeper level, the answer to the question, why did Jesus die on the cross and rise again and all that stuff, is to bring glory to himself. To bring glory to himself. And this is a pretty big idea for us to get our heads around, because most of the time... Someone being primarily concerned with their own glory is considered a bad thing, isn't it? My youngest boy, Jude, is four. He's pretty much solely concerned with his own glory in life. And it's not very pretty. He wants everything to be done in his way, on his schedule. He wants the attention and focus to be on him. And as good parents, we're trying to teach him that life isn't all about his glory. Most of the time, if someone is concerned with their own glory, if they're a glory seeker, that's considered a bad thing. But here's the thing, and this is something really simple, but I, find, I think we find it really, really hard to get our heads around. God isn't the same as us. God isn't like me or you or Jude. God isn't just kind of a bigger, better version of us. God is holy. God is other. 
God is outside of and beyond time and space. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In God, we live and move and have our being. He's before all things, and in him all things are created. In him, through him, for him. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's the Alpha and Omega. You know, unlike us, God's desire for his own glory isn't uh, coming from a place of insecurity. When I want people to give glory to me, it's coming from a place of my insecurity from God it comes from a place of his total security he is the only being for whom it is absolutely fitting and right and good to be concerned first and foremost for his own glory throughout the whole bible this theme of God's glory rings out loud and clear even the most well-known and beautiful passages of scripture have it psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths amazing but sitting behind all that for his name's sake Yes, God blesses us. Yes, God leads and guides us. Yes, he protects us. Yes, it is good it is good heart and pleasure and will to lead us into green and spacious places. But sitting beside that and alongside that and behind all that is because it all brings him glory as well. And you know what? We need to stop and take a moment and praise God that his glory and our good go hand in hand. It glorified Jesus to go to the cross and look what it has done for us. It could so easily not work like that, couldn't it? And in fact, if you drill down into any other religious system, any other so-called God, any other self-help ideology, the glory of the deity, the glory of the founder always comes at the expense, abuse or subjugation of the follower. Their glory usually means someone else's suffering. Not with God. His glory is our blessing. So that's big idea number one, the glory of God. And we'll see later that this call to love one another rests on this vision and understanding of the glory of God and our lives being all about glorifying him. Big idea number two, I think we see in what Jesus says is the idea of the Trinity. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. One of the titles he often uses to describe himself, which captures something of his humanity on the one hand, but also looks back to Old Testament prophecies about the chosen Messiah and the king who would come on God's behalf. And he basically says, I'm going to be glorified. The son of man's going to be glorified and God will be glorified in me. Not just God will be glorified by what I do. No, it, it's closer than that. God will be glorified in me, and if God is glorified in me, I will be glorified in him. There's this amazing sense we get in this passage of the fact that he, the Son, Jesus, and God the Father are so intertwined that they are in fact one. Two persons, the Son, Jesus on earth, God the Father in heaven, but at the same time, one. And this comes through time and time again in Jesus' ministry. In John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jewish religious leaders are not, are not confused about what Jesus is saying because they pick up stones to get ready to stone him. Why? Because they understood Jesus was claiming to be one with God. In other words, Jesus was claiming to be God. And as scripture unfolds, we don't have time to dive into it deeply this morning, we see something similar emerging with the Holy Spirit, distinct and yet one with the Father and with the Son. 
And through scripture, we build up this amazing picture of God as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God in three persons. And you know, if that kind of blows your mind or you find that difficult to understand, you know, welcome to the club. It's quite good, isn't it, that we can't get our heads around God. As soon as we think, you know, theology and systematic theology and systems are fantastic. We love them, we embrace them. But the moment we think we've kind of got God boxed up and we understand how God works and how the system works and how it all works and exactly how things are going to pan out, we should be worried. Because God is always going to be bigger than we can grasp or understand. But we're going to see that this big idea of the Trinity has huge implications for our call to love one another deeply. So big idea number one was the glory of God. Big idea number two, the Trinity. And big idea number three is what I call the now and not yet. What does Jesus say in verse 33? My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And then a couple of verses later, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus is telling them he, he's leaving them. After his death and resurrection, he's going to ascend to be with the Father in, in heavenly places until the day he returns and takes us to be with him and restores and renews all things. And we live, just as those first disciples did after his ascension, in this weird kind of in-between time, in this now and not yet. We know that the ultimate victory over sin and death and Satan has already been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. It's now in that sense. It's happened. But we also know that the full extent of that victory, we only need to turn on the news to know this, don't we? The full extent of that victory is also not yet. It hasn't been fully revealed. And that's a really hard place to live because it means we're not really at home here. It means, it says in the Bible, we're like aliens and strangers traveling through this earth. It means we kind of see glimpses and have tastes, hopefully often in the church, of God's kingdom and goodness in the here and now. But also, who in this room is going to say there hasn't been pain or darkness or loneliness or, or loss or trials or sickness or persecution? And it's hard. And we're told repeatedly throughout scripture, don't be surprised that it's hard. If you find life tough, if you find following Jesus tough, maybe right now there's some opposition in your life from family, from friends, or maybe you just live with a sense of loneliness uh, as, you, as you kind of walk through this world trying to follow Jesus. That's not unusual, I would want to say to you today. You're not odd or strange or, 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 or different or special. That, that's the now and not yet, and Jesus is with you in it. This isn't our home. So three big ideas that Jesus communicates to his disciples in, in what he says here. The glory of God, the Trinity, the now and not yet. There's a lot of big stuff in there, but then there's this one really, really simple application. Love one another. Jesus goes from that to a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Why does Jesus suddenly jump from this bi- these big ideas to his glorification and the Father's glorification in him and all that stuff to this call to love one another? I think it's because loving one another glorifies God. Because loving one another reflects the Trinity. In other words, it reflects who God is. And because loving one another is the only way we're going to survive and perhaps even thrive in the now and not yet. This call to radical love, to love as Jesus has loved us, is not just a kind of soppy and benign way of saying, be nice to one another. You know, because if you're anything like me, in your weaker moments, I don't love other people very well. And if it just rests on a foundation of, it's nice to be nice to people, it's not going to cut it. And it's certainly not going to be a powerful enough love to transform lives and build the kind of community and kingdom we're seeking to build. But actually, when we see that it sits on these foundations of who Jesus is and what he's done and his glory and who he is in the Trinity and how we're going to survive in the now and not yet, I believe it strengthens our ability to love one another. So first thing, loving one another glorifies God. You know, at City Church, we're about halfway through a message series at the moment in the book of Ephesians. And what's really blown my mind as we've gone through that series together, and something I'd kind of, you know, sometimes when you read the Bible, it's always new, it's always fresh. You've seen stuff, but you've kind of not seen it at the same time. What's really blown my mind is, is this theme throughout the book of Ephesians, that what Jesus has done on the cross has broken down barriers and divisions that would naturally exist between people and made a way for us to be one new humanity in the church. Of course, in Ephesians, the big theme of that was between Jew and Gentile. But actually, it still applies and could easily be written now to different groups of people. That what Jesus has done on the cross is not just about individual salvation, but is about creating this radical new community in the church where people from different races and different ages and different financial statuses and different classes come together in a way that reflects the beauty and glory and majesty of God. So I would want to say that loving one another in the church, being a community of radical love, preferring other people's needs to your own, stepping towards people who are not like you, being gentle and kind to people you find challenging, is so much more than just being nice to one another because we're meant to be nice as Christians. It glorifies God. It glorifies Jesus. In fact, if we're not committed to loving one another, we're not people who are going to glorify God and glorify Jesus with our lives. It demonstrates when we do that as a community who otherwise perhaps wouldn't really hang out with one another if it wasn't for the fact Jesus had brought us together. That glorifies God. It reflects his manifold beauty and wisdom to the world around us. Loving one another glorifies God. Loving one another also reflects the Trinity. In in other words, it reflects who God is. One of the most famous kind of phrases in the Bible, 1 John 4 verses 8 and 16, tell us that God is love. You know, at the very foundation of who God is, is love. And you know that statement, God is love, it only makes sense because of the Trinity. God is love. You can say that at the very core of his being, he is love because he has existed as a community of love for all eternity. You know, the creation of the universe and the creation of us 
is an overflow of the love that has existed in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all time. God didn't create us out of a lack within himself. He didn't think, I better create something so I've got something to love or, 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 or so that they can love me and sort of give me glory in that kind of negative way as we described it before. No, he created everything out of the overflow of this community of love that has existed for all time between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we love one another, we reflect the very heart and person of God to the world around us. Loving one another glorifies God, and loving one another reflects who God is to the world around us. And final thing is this, loving one another is how we're going to survive and thrive in the now and not yet. God's been really speaking to me at the moment through the parable Jesus told about the, the wheat and the weeds in Matthew chapter 13. Some of you will be familiar with that parable. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a field in which a great amount of wheat is growing, but also where weeds are growing up with the wheat as well. And the owner of the field says to his servants, don't go and try and pull out the weeds yet because you might uproot the wheat. Let's wait until harvest time when both wheat and weeds will be pulled up together and separated out and the weeds will be burnt and the wheat will be harvested. And I think that parable is a lot like our world today. Wheat and weeds are growing up together. You know, I'm believing God for a great harvest in our time. I think people are hungrier for God than ever. I think people are seeing the emptiness of a life apart from God like never before. I think there's a great opportunity for a harvest and for wheat in our day. But we also see the weeds growing up, don't we? Society has moved and is moving from being kind of disinterested but sympathetic towards Christianity to being uh, suspicious and hostile towards it. We're going to have to embrace the fact that as followers of Jesus, we may increasingly become a kind of distrusted subculture within society and opposition may increase. You know, we don't need to worry about that because everywhere the gospel has ever really flourished has been a context just like that. But it is worth being aware of. The weeds are growing up. It's the wheat and the weeds growing up together. It's, it's battle and blessing. It's not, I think the two mistakes Christians sometimes make is you get the kind of doom and gloom Christians, don't you? Everything is just terrible and everything is getting worse and the world's going to sort of hell in a handcart and all that stuff. No, I think there's a harvest. And in fact, the two go hand in hand. But it's also not, everything's just going to keep getting better and better and better until the Je day Jesus returns. That's not what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. The wheat and the weeds are going to grow up together. And the way we're going to survive, because that's quite scary, isn't it? <laughs> to think about the weeds growing and opposition and hostility. The way we're going to survive and maybe even thrive and be a light to the world around us is by loving one another as the family and people of God. We're going to need to recapture something of what it means to be the radical community of believers we see in the New Testament. We're going to need to love and care for and look out for one another like never before. And when we do that, Jesus says, doesn't he, not only does it bless us, but it's going to declare the gospel to the world. Everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. 
This is part of our evangelistic strategy to reach the world, love one another deeply. Even those who outwardly oppose Jesus or who are caught up in the culture of our times will see the love we have for one another and will be moved by it and will not be able to deny that there's a supernatural power at work amongst us. So this call to love one another isn't just a way of saying, guys, try and be nice to one another. It's much more important than that. It's much more foundational than that. Loving one another glorifies God. Loving one another reflects who God is to the world around us. And loving one another is the only way we're going to survive and thrive in the now and not yet. So what does this look like in practice? I know I've given you like a lot this morning, but how how can we step into this kind of life of radical love? Because this gets really practical, doesn't it? Loving one another sounds like a great idea until we've got someone to love who we might find it challenging to do so. And I just want to give you three really quick ways you might respond to this before we close. And then I'm going to pray. And what I'd love us to do uh, when we come to that moment of prayer is I'd love every single person in this room to commit to one like actual practical thing you are going to do as a sign of being this community of radical love and loving one another. If you try and do three things, you probably won't do anything. So I want you to pick one and actually commit it to the Lord and then put that into practice with his help. So the first application is this. Get to know people who aren't like you. Loving one another in the church means we get to know people who aren't like us. Loving one another in the church means we build relationships not just with the people who we feel comfortable with or who, who are like us in terms of age and stage or race or class or interest or whatever it might be. Loving one another in the church means we build relationships proactively with people who if it wasn't for the church, we probably wouldn't have all that much to do with in life. Loving people in the church means we don't stay in our comfort zones but we're kind of willing to look a bit foolish sometimes as we try and build relationships across barriers and divides. Loving people in the church means we actually need people we find a little bit challenging. They're God's gift to us to help us grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. So, you know, if, you know, if I ask the question, who sometimes finds anyone else in the church a little bit annoying and challenging, I won't ask you to raise a hand or point to them. But I'm sure there will be people. That's family, isn't it? That's community. Who could you step towards today? Who could you invite round your house? Who could you have a conversation with or arrange to do something with today who is not like you and it would represent being that community of radical love where we cross over those boundaries? The second thing I'd encourage us to do if we want to be this community of radical love is be quick to say sorry and to restore relationships. I remember when I was leading the youth group at at City Church, um, and I led it together with, it was a team of us, and I led it with one other sort of young guy, my kind of age, on the team. And on the surface, we were were friends, but in kind of my immaturity in my heart, I'd I'd become a little bit competitive with this guy, I think. It was kind of like we both wanted to be the best youth leader. We both wanted to be the more spiritual, the more entertaining, the more fun, whatever it might be, the main guy than the other person. It really sounds pathetic when you say it out loud, but I'm sure others can recognize this sort of thing that goes on in our hearts. And one day I remember sitting in a church meeting and feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit 
that I had to go and tell this guy how I'd been thinking and feeling towards him and ask for his forgiveness. You know those moments where you're like, please God, no. Because on the surface, you have to realise everything was fine. This wasn't like some stated or out there tension between the two of us. It was all fine. He had no idea I felt like this. It was going to make me look really pathetic and petty. And God was telling me I had to go and admit to him that I'd been harbouring this sort of bitterness or competitiveness towards him and say, I just want to confess this to you and I want to ask for your forgiveness. But I knew I had to do it. And so I did. And um, it was a bit awkward. But it was one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever had these moments, we only, we only have them if we step out when God convicts us by his spirit, where the grace of God flooded into my life, into our relationship, and we built a much better, stronger, richer relationship from that point forward, and I believe that the whole church, youth group, and everything flourished as a result of that. Being a community of love in the way Jesus describes, I mean, we don't let any sort of bitterness or distance, or anger, or competitiveness, or unforgiveness build up in our hearts towards other people. We're quick to say sorry, we're quick to repent, even in those situations where it's like, you could justify it, as I'm not really sure I have anything to say sorry about, or, you know, this is going to be a bit awkward to do it. You know, if we're, if we're 2% over, over the line, we're, we're going to step towards people, and we're going to confess, and we're going to repent, and we're going to ask for their forgiveness. We're quick to say, oh, you know, when I said that in that meeting, I, I hope it didn't come across like this because I didn't mean that. Are we okay? We're quick to ask others if they're okay with us. Maybe you need to do something like that today as an expression of being a community of radical love and loving one, another's, loving one another. And the third thing would just be simply to love others sacrificially. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's high stakes love, isn't it? How does Jesus show his love for us? By laying down his life for us. Greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says a couple of chapters down the road in John 15. We're called to love one another sacrificially, to give up what we have to serve others, whether that's time, energy, support, finances. Not to be those who kind of love superficially and then retreat into our own private worlds, but to be a little bit more perhaps like that early community of Christian believers who really cared for one another's needs in all sorts of ways. So where might God, where might the Holy Spirit be prompting you today to demonstrate radical, sacrificial love towards somebody else? And, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is a much better teacher than I am, and I'm just trusting that he's going to be speaking to you about that if that's you. But if we do these three things, if we get to know people who aren't like us, if we're quick to say sorry and restore relationships, if we love others sacrificially, my faith as we do that is that God will be glorified. His character and his beauty will be displayed to the world around us. And we will not only survive, but thrive through whatever the wheat and the weeds and the battle and the blessings that this, these coming years have for us as, as the church around the world throws at us will survive and thrive. I wonder if we could stand together to close. I'm going to pray, and, and then I think the band will, will, will play. But why don't we stand and just bow our heads in prayer for a moment. And Why don't we just uh, be still in God's presence, and why don't you just open up your own heart to God, ask him to speak to you, and commit that one thing 
you're going to do as a result of what we've heard today. Maybe God wants you, and it'll be specific, you know, he wants you to step towards someone, to build a relationship with somebody across some of those divides or somebody you find challenging to step towards them in love. Maybe, maybe God wants you to love sacrificially. Maybe there's a specific step of sacrificial, costly love he's inviting you to, to step into and to show towards another person. Just to be still in his presence. Maybe you know there's something in your heart you need to confess, repent of, ask for forgiveness for, check in with someone. Maybe God's just laying that on your heart right now. Yeah, Jesus, it's our desire that you are glorified in our lives and in this church and in your church, Regent City Church, the church across this region, Lord. We want you to be glorified. We thank you that you've called us to love one another radically in a way which glorifies you, in a way which displays you to the world, in a way which helps us, Lord God, survive and thrive through every season of our lives and through every season of the ages. Lord God, we just ask that you would be glorified in our lives. We ask that you would be glorified in regions. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing upon this church, Lord God. I pray that you would bring them into a season of increased fruitfulness, Lord God. I pray for their witness and mission to this area and beyond, Lord. God, I pray that you would be even this week, that there would be conversations, there would be opportunities to share something of your love with those around them, Lord. God, we say we're doing this for your glory. We love you. You're worthy. We want our whole lives to reflect your glory, Jesus. And we submit our lives to you and the decisions we've made to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we worship together?